what's there, it might be completely empty and it might be filled with feelings of whatever sort. Our willingness to be with the truth of what we find is all we need to do right now, here together. I forgive you for the pain, for the suffering that you've caused me by your words, thoughts, actions. Intended or unintended, I am willing to forgive you. And now, as feels comfortable, you may want to bring even a bigger player forward here to our circle to join us. Bringing a sense, an image, a feeling, a memory of this person. You too, I am willing to forgive. Perhaps not today, but someday, I am willing to forgive you for your words, for your thoughts, for your actions that hurt me so much. Whether you intended them or not to hurt me, I am willing to forgive you. Keep breathing. last few minutes of this meditation, I invite you just to rest in the feeling of heartedness that there is there. Might be a heart that for the moment needs to be closed or half open or wide open. Just rest there with awareness. day before lunch. Whatever is there is okay. It's okay.
these are the words of the Buddha. He said, Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love together. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. Never forget that you too shall someday pass away also. dragons in our lives are only princesses waiting for us to act just once with beauty and with courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love. So do not be frightened if a sadness rises before you larger than any you've ever seen. If an anxiety like light and cloud shadows moves over your hands and everything that you do, you must realize that something has happened to you. Life has not forgotten you, that it holds you in its hand and will not let you fall. So 
if anybody feels drawn to expressing, offering their experience in this practice for one another. I'm so drawn by the image of us all being part of a family, a community, and from time to time we all spread our wings and fly and go to faraway places, whether they're in our hearts or way outside in the geography of our world, but that we must come back and tell our stories to one another, where we've fallen, where we've triumphed, so that others who hopefully listen carefully enough so that uh, we don't make the same mistakes as those that have gone before us. So there's so much wisdom here and so much care. Saturday. <laughs> I just realized what a gift that was. So I was like, wow. Oh, no wonder this isn't a new thing to me. It's like happened really a lot. All those horrible things that I thought about everybody in my life, you know, all, all the time. You know, especially the teenage things. It's like, whew, gone. Perhaps one of the differences, though, is that there we were receiving forgiveness from someone else. Yeah. And here, we are forgiving ourselves. Yeah, but it's still experience. Of course it is. I just, I just realized course. what a cool thing it was. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh. That was my big insight on yeah. this meditation. <laughs> Hail Mary. about why it's, there's certain things that are so hard to forgive. I mean, you know, or I know intellectually, you know, that it's the right thing to do. But there's just this, like, the last one, or that, just, I, I don't know why it's so difficult to forgive certain things. It's sort of like it excuses them, or means that they weren't important. They didn't, I don't know. I, I, mm. But just that last little thing. Uh, I can forgive all that, but not that one thing, you know? My experience of forgiveness is that, um, boy, it gets hot and cold pretty quickly, doesn't yes. it? <laughs> 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 um, 
is that where I think I, I, I sense, in my experience, I sense that forgiveness is a natural expression of a heart that is at peace and w with a particular situation, let's say. And if the forgiveness has not occurred or ripened yet, it's not that there's something wrong with me or something wrong with the situation. All it means is that there probably are more feelings inside of me that have yet to percolate up and to be dealt with and acknowledged. I think it's impossible to forgive until the associated feelings have been dealt with. And that's a process. You know, a as I discovered, you know, dealing with one level of, you know, feeling angry and pissed off, you know, um, opened up uh, with forgiveness and, a, and an, a genuine experience of forgiveness just opened up a deeper level of rage and a sense of betrayal and then and then that's the, the landscape that we populate and then just you know a deeper one now I think if the woundedness is deep then the levels are many if it's just like somebody sort of side eyes you at the supermarket then we probably don't have to go through a couple of years <laughs> you know on that Yes, oh, we've already got a problem, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, that the ones that are really difficult for us to forgive, it's not that we're not doing it right, or that there's something wrong with the practice, it's just that, oh, it's an indicator, it's insight, that, well, um, let me just populate this place a little more, and let's just see and be there, and that's that willingness to be uncomfortable, you know? You know, this goes back to what Risha was saying before, earlier in the day. Um, that's all true, but while all that is happening, you're actually involved with the same people. And so, what the feeling that I get often is that it's a quagmire. And um, that, um, you know, you can, you can feel forgiveness for someone, but then if they persist with the same behavior, then you just seem to be in some sort of a downward spiral, spiral, spiral of um, anger or righteous indignation, if there's such a thing. I'm a little confused about both of those things, <laughs> and um, and then um, and then forgiveness, and then and then a very similar behavior and that's kind of inexcusable, or at least you know in the everyday world. So um, you know. It seems like one, one person's doing a lot of work and going through a lot, the other person's not doing very much, and I don't know, it just seems like a, you know, downward spiral. Well, there's something wrong with the bookkeeping there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm doing all the, the forgiving, and you're doing all the acting out, and I'm suffering, and you're having a good time. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like there's something wrong here. Yes, or, or, or at least... Um, yeah, or at least maybe, do you, do, you, do you leave that situation alone? Do you just say, well, you know what, I need to remove myself? Or do you, mm. do you, are you present in an, open, an endless opening? Mm. You know, I don't know. Present in an endless opening? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one, Diane. What was that? I like that one. <laughs> yeah. 
What we do is we be present in an endless opening. <laughs> well, that's my problem. That's what I was asking you. <laughs> I would really like to open these questions because that's such a wonderful question I, and an I, important I, one. I have a response for something that brought up a response for me in uh, with <coughs> my mother who I've used a lot of process with in my life. And I notice as I get closer to myself, I, she doesn't change. Those same behaviors she's had are, are there. But as I am close to myself, I can't, I, I see there, there's a difference. There, there's been a, a long and still in this last process, or this last meditation of forgiveness, she came up again. Um, so it, it's ongoing. And yet I can be with her and I really see my progress because I've experienced all of the, the deep, you know, the rage, the anger, the fear, the whole gamut uh, with her. Uh, and her behavior, uh, I just visited her recently, hasn't changed all that much, but I, I have, my process has. And therefore, um, it's what you said earlier, uh, being closer, I think, to myself and my observation of myself, it, 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 it's my, my center is, is more anchored. So when you say be closer to yourself, you meaning as you understand yourself more, then you are less involved in these situations that pushed your buttons before. Yeah, I, so thank I, really, you, yeah. I, I notice a bit, you know, I'm like the observer of myself in the same, I mean, I notice the same situations that I was in that would, in the past, just have me outraged or do all kinds of things, and I notice that, that I don't have a need to do that because of my own process. Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have noticed, well, there's, I'll tell you a little story. When my daughter, she's seven, if she runs into somebody that she doesn't like or she sees the bad guy in a movie or whatever, she says, boy, I hate him. <laughs> I, she's not allowed to say she hates anybody. She has to rephrase it, and how, how I've had her do is say, I really feel sorry for that person because he has not yet found the love in his heart. And so she goes around now, I mean, I started doing that when she was three. Um, she goes around now, and you can see, you know, this kind of working up, you know, I really hate that person. She doesn't say it, but you can feel it, you know, and then all of a sudden she just turns to me and says, boy, do I feel sorry for that person. <laughs> um, but it just brings home a point for me, and this has happened just over years of getting to know myself and experiencing all the negative parts of myself. Um, oftentimes when I look at somebody, it's like looking at a mirror. And I feel sorry that that person feels that because I know exactly what it is. So I have empathy for them. Even though they're being judgmental or 
hurtful towards me or hurtful towards a class of people or or whatever um, it it has really helped me to say to myself you know I don't hate this person but I really feel sorry for them because you know they haven't found the love in their heart mm. thank you I had a long uh, love-hate relationship for, toward my father because when I was nine, he killed himself. So it just kind of shut down. And from, you know, I wanted very much to be able to forgive him. Uh, and then finally it came to me that I'm not losing if I forgive you. Some way it was as if I, that would be the final mm -hmm. That loyalty to you remains, but I, I do want to forgive you very much. So when you talk about populating these places, um, that's a very helpful metaphor for me. That's such a tender juncture that you refer to, that juncture of not wanting to forgive because you're going to there's the fear of losing. And, you know, um, I really bow to that juncture that you express so eloquently because sometimes we feel more relationship with someone in anger and become so familiar with the anger that we're scared that if the anger goes, the relationship will go. And there's almost like a, a little gap there that we have to have such faith that if we let go of the anger, then there's a gap, a void, and there's no guarantee of what's going to be there afterwards. And I think that those are the, are the most... That is when our spirit is most tested, is to let go of the familiar and not know yet what it is that's going to take its place. Is there any sense of what has taken? My whole life has turned around as far as a spiritual quest. Before that, I had I dismissed it all because someone said to me as a little kid, where's your father? And, or your, your father's in heaven. And I thought, that's crazy. My father's in the graveyard. <laughs> literally just destroyed whatever um, I guess leaning I might have had toward a, some spiritual being. So that, uh, yeah, that's in more recent, very recent years, that's really. 
Um, I had a, a hard time at the beginning. I was really jazzed to come here because there's a part of me I really have struggled with in the last few years and did some behaviors I really wasn't proud of and couldn't figure out. And I thought, oh, I'm going to forgive myself all that stuff. And then, <laughs> and then when it was like to forgive a person, somebody else besides myself, I thought, wow, I can't forgive anybody else because I always thought everything was my fault. And that was a huge awareness for me. And especially with the prime, you know, the parent. Somebody I've never wanted to touch. I always touched one of them, but not the other. So it's this kind of scary space right now. Because there's a whole lot of forgiveness that has to go in there. And I thought, no, I was so voodooed, I think, when I was a child that, you know, everything was my fault. So how can I forgive, forgive that person? They're just angels. They're angels. No, everything's my fault. And I remember I found a a little invitation I made when I was a brownie scout or something for a tea party. And I was supposed to invite my mother. And I was small. I was only like six or seven. And I wrote, I'm sorry I've been such a bad girl. And I thought, what in the world did I ever do? You know, I was born and raised a Catholic too. Uh, you know, with nuns in the whole nine yards. And, got a march in lines and all that stuff. And, you know, I thought, how could I be so bad? I never did anything bad. And yet here I was apologizing to her. And really, I wasn't getting the care I should have gotten. And so now I need to forgive her for that. For sort of abandoning me pretty much to But your impulse is so beautiful. It's like to, to, to forgive yourself because it seems like there's a part of, of you that I hear. Maybe I'm wrong, but I sense that it's like this is a season now. This is my season for forgiving myself, for believing that I was bad, and for believing that the world was populated by angels and I was the only devil prowling around. <laughs> and that I was to blame for everything. And that as, as, as that is consolidated within us, that capacity for forgiving these patterns, then the extension of forgiveness is so much easier because it's coming from a place of abundance. When our landscape is barren and empty, it's very difficult to give from that place. We can only give at some cost. But when the landscape is fertile and luscious like it is around here, there is abundance to give. And so I cheer you on to, to hold yourself really tenderly and mercifully and respectfully because what you're seeing and what you're opening to is only the work of the most courageous women and men. And that where you're going is going to heal everybody around you. And there was one thing that you said, I just want to reflect back to you. You said, I think I must forgive them. 
you don't have to forgive anybody. You could be willing to forgive them and then forgiveness will happen. But a must might be questionable. to my mind earlier when you used the word courage, um, and I remembered that the root of the word courage is the same as the French word for heart, cur. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. It's like I, f I found out, speaking about roots this week, that the root for the word suffering is allowed. You know, when, when, when Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, I get shivers when I say that. He was saying, allow the children to come to me. And so, suffering, which has such connotations of unacceptability in our society, I feel its origin, which is in the Greek, is about allowing. And you know, it's what Rilke was saying too, you know, allow the dragons because they're going to turn out to be princesses. So allow the suffering, allow the darkness, you know. you know. And so, Diane, to get to those tortuous, re-stimulating situations that you were talking about, <laughs> they're hard, aren't they? <laughs> we had this great little moment on Maui a couple of weekends ago that's come back to me many times, especially when I was on retreat when we were talking about the um, toilet training. Do you remember? No. <laughs> it was with one of your best friends. It was with Gail, I believe. Oh. <laughs> remember? And it was, it was about, you know, she was saying, well, what do I do when I'm in a difficult situation and people are driving me nuts? And I said to her, this is what I do. I said, if I'm in a situation and I feel like, like, I'm losing my center, as you were saying, you know, I'm losing my center, I'm getting re-stimulated, I'm getting jangled. Then I excuse myself, I need to go to the toilet, you know, and I go to the toilet, I get down on my knees, I say, please help me, you know, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I come out fresh, you know, as a bell, and I go back in the situation, and then like a minute later, oh my God, I've got to go back to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's like, it's like, I will not participate in a situation where there's just re-stimulation, re-stimulation, and a cycling and escalating of energies going on. I will not do that anymore. I will find a way, and I believe, you know, when you were talking, the thing that came to mind for me, Diane, was, for me, one of the beautiful things about the meditation practice that also came to mind when you were talking this morning, is that, for me, the development of faith, is about develop is is a is a deepening sense through my experience not belief experience that every situation is workable and that comes with the willingness to populate the dark difficult landscapes that ah oh, this is actually workable this is workable you know where you were this is workable oh now that that's also workable and so it's like to go into situations like that one not with or, you know, with your family, not with, oh my God, you know, you're bracing 
for the re-stimulation, but just knowing this is workable and not having any agenda. You know, we were talking this morning about moment to moment, for the moment, by the moment, going into situations that fresh that we can respond out of awareness, out of compassion, out of love, not out of agenda or a timetable, and being willing to include in that toilet meditation. So, uh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and be willing to be that fallible, you know? But, you know, I've just had enough of certain of my behaviors and responses, and, you know, some of them I just won't do any longer, and it's like radical measures are called for. And so that's one of the practices I do. I will just excuse myself, you know? And sometimes I don't, and then I stumble, and then I forgive myself. But hopefully, hopefully it doesn't take too long before I can get to that place deep down where I don't feel victimized by this situation, but feel excited, you know, this is going to work. And I feel that that's what the whole practice is about. But when you say this is going to work, it sounds to me like an investment in an outcome. Am I hearing no, you incorrectly? that this is going to be workable that there's a way to be with the truth of this experience. Simply as that. There's you know, a way to be aware of the truth. You, you know, all of these elements that we've been talking about today, mm. I think um, in, in the background too, um, the word allowing is, is really what I hear as the great backdrop of, um, of, of really allowing um, all those places and spaces. And not, not even to bring one forward and recess another, yes. but really to allow the full penelope or gamut of of of, 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 of experience. Catastrophe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Um, I've been not studying, but I've been reading, and I'm deeply inspired by the tantric teachings. Now, they are very complicated, and I've not done them largely, but their practice is one word. One word. I sense in it. Yes. Everything, yes. <laughs> yes. Relatives, yes. Depression, yes. You know? Yes, yes, yes. You know what yes. yes is? Yes becomes, if I can remember how I put it, an endless opening, being present with an endless opening, is yes. And that's allowing. But it's not, you know, I mean, it's, it's so easy for that to be derailed with the, the ego getting involved, oh yes, yeah. to, you know, <laughs> alcohol, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I mean, I, I don't want to cast dispersions, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's, it's a yes of the deepest responsibility which is like the essence. I find that very exciting. Oh, the dark, the dark places. Yeah. Yeah, yes to the dark places. I mean, you know, my experience of depression, and you know, depression is so complicated, and boy, I have, I have, um, it's just, it's so, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's beyond words, but, in my experience of it. And for me, I sense, having also gone through a lot of the 
of the chemicals, you know. For me, I think a lot of it had to do with feeling separate from the essence of who I was. Now this was for me, I don't for a moment believe that it necessarily is for another single soul. But for me, that's what, what it was. I was feeling that there was an essentialness that, that just felt, I felt completely disconnected from. I felt like my life was at the womb of circumstance and I, there was just this deep anguish, sadness, loss, yearning, thirst, and it was just like a collapse into that, you know. And, you know, when we talk about yes, you know, I was just thinking, gosh, Gavin, you say yes, and it's just a three-letter word, you know, it's so easy just to say. So I say yes with the greatest gravity. I mean, it's not, I don't say it like Oh dear. Look. <laughs> <laughs> the void. <laughs> We're beyond time, kids. We've done it. <laughs> Next it'll all be out of body. <laughs> I need a bathroom break. Me too. You need a bathroom break? Ever since you said toilet <laughs> What is the time? 3.25. Whoa! Okay, I'll tell you what. How about um, we have a break. If we could just be still for a moment together. Could we have a final... Is there a final bell ringer lurking among us? How <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so if it's 25 after, would a 20-minute break be okay? 25? And then we'll come together for a closing. So may we sit together for a moment, please? just the way we are. May we be peaceful with what is occurring. And may we love and forgive ourselves completely.
conclusion of our day. And I want to be sure that if there are any words that need to be spoken, that there is an opportunity for that to happen. And um, be sure that we have an opportunity to share some further time together in loving kindness and forgiveness before we close. But there's one question that I have is that the time now is 3.23 according to this very confusing clock. <laughs> so it's 10 to 4. How, how am I going to do this? Oh, here, here's the clock. Thank you. Bless you, love. You can have this one. <laughs> it was like, um, when I arrived on the big island, I decided I'm never going to wear a watch again. <laughs> and, I, and I felt so proud of myself, and I haven't, you know, I've, I've never worn a watch. And then um, I was giving a talk in Oahu uh, one evening, one Sunday evening, and um, in the middle of the talk, in some context or other, I talked about, you know, the virtue of not being governed by time and by... by um, you know, just being sort of loose and, you know, natural, loose and natural. And, uh, and then we, we started sitting. We had our sitting period. And I didn't have a watch. And I didn't know how long. And there they very rigid about time, you know. It's like you sit from 6 to 6.40. So I spent like 15 minutes looking around. <laughs> meditators try to get a glimpse at a, at a watch, like, you know, and somebody would like turn, I'd just get a glimpse and then she would like turn. <laughs> okay. Anyway, don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to, uh, speak a little more, share a little more about my experience with forgiveness as, as, a, as part of the conclusion and certainly have a space for any further sharing that needs to happen. But it feels like uh, honoring the, the, what I shared this morning, I'd like to bring it somewhat to, to a conclusion. As I mentioned, when I was diagnosed with AIDS in 1989, it was the most difficult time of my life up until that point. And I went on a retreat three months after that diagnosis, and it was during that retreat that I started having um, these flashbacks of incest involving my father. And it was sort of a shattering revelation. I had no idea that it had happened. And um, it's a part of the practice that at times the mind releases. It's part of the purification. It's very beautiful. And it's not something to be sought after. You know, some people spend a lot of time trying to, to, to find things that they think are there. I think that that is, is a questionable relationship with meditation. But sometimes in the unfolding, things are just birthed. And this information came to me. 
And it was obviously very difficult. And in some ways, the fear and the emotions of the diagnosis were sort of indistinguishable from the fear associated with this information. And my mother came over for a visit shortly after, afterwards. And it was during that visit that I felt that I needed to tell her about what happened with my father. Now, my father uh, died in 1989, in May of 1989. I was in South Africa visiting, and um, my mother and I were playing cards in the dining room, and my father had gone to bed early, and he called. And we rushed through to the bedroom, and he was in the middle of a massive heart attack. And with Adelaide on one side of his bed and I on the other, uh, we held him as he breathed his last desperate breaths. And uh, we spent a couple of hours together at his bedside um, before the doctors came, uh, or no, before they came to take the body away. And during those hours that Adelaide and I spent with him, I went outside and got some bougainvillea from the garden and we lit some candles beside his bed and we washed him and cleaned him because he was, you know, the whole process had been very difficult and complicated. But we got to a place where we were able to be We each, as best we could in those times, experienced whatever forgiveness was possible. But together we, we expressed our intention and willingness to forgive him for the difficult times. And we appreciated him for all the wonderful memories and things that had happened. And it was a month later, after I stayed in South Africa and dealt with the funeral and everything in the estate, and then returned to the United States and immediately had myself tested because I'd gone to South Africa on that visit to be with two very good friends of mine who were dying of AIDS. They both died while I was there, and then my father died, and then I got back to the United States and discovered that I was also HIV positive in 1989. So it was really a very hard time. That was July 9th, 1989, that I discovered it, and in September I began a three-month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie. And it was during that retreat that these memories involving my father came up. And so when Adelaide came to visit the next year, in spite of the fact that she just lost her husband and she also just got information about my diagnosis, I just felt that I couldn't keep the information about my father from her. We'd really committed ourselves to being honest with one another in a way that we never had in the family. And we'd had a couple of years of real deep truth-telling with one another that started with that time when I went back and told him about the boarding school. And so the essence of what I want to share is about an afternoon that I spent with Adelaide and a friend of ours, with the three of us. And during that time, she was my therapist, Carol. So it was Carol, Adelaide, and myself. And during that time, I, with Carol's help and sort of mediation, not so much mediation, but presence, holding the space, I told her everything that I'd remembered about my father. And in the process of re remembering on the retreat, a whole lot of other information came up that I hadn't told her as well, and told her everything. And there were some people who felt that it was really inappropriate 
that I told my mother this information, that it, it was in a way um, a cruelty and unkindness. And through about two and a half hours of truth-telling, many tears, a lot of, a lot of crying, I told Adelaide everything that I'd known, and there were junctures in this afternoon where she said to me, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. And I remember saying, shut up, this is my time, don't interrupt me. And I continued, I said, I have to say what I need to say. And I told her, and I was crying, and she was crying, and I went through, and I told her, and I got to the end until I told her everything. And then at that point, Carol said, well, now, Adelaide, it's your turn to speak. And my mother actually is going to be in Hawaii in January and will be at the retreat here. So uh, I don't now and don't ever feel at liberty to disclose the specific information. But what I can tell you that in the next hour, Adelaide told me the circumstances of her upbringing that tore my heart apart. She shared with me information that she'd never told another soul in her whole life. Not my father, not her sisters, and not her friends. And that she went through this ghastly nightmare of what her youth was like and her upbringing. My heart completely broke with an experience of forgiveness quite unlike anything I'd known before as I began to appreciate and understand in the deepest way possible that in the circumstances of her life and in the context of her experience, she had every step of the way from boarding school onwards and before made the very best decision given who she was and what she was dealing with and the life that she led. It was an extraordinary moment of connecting for her. And when she came to the end of her truth-telling, which took a long time too, we connected in a space of such total and complete and naked respect and love and forgiveness that from that, from that moment on, our relationship has been nothing but one of healing and of deepening respect. And that's the lesson that I wanted to bring, was the importance as much as possible, when possible, if possible, to open to the pain and suffering of those who've hurt us. I feel it's a very important facet and aspect of this miracle of forgiveness. In various ways, the issue has been alluded to and addressed, and I just wanted to bring my experience of that here. Well, on that same visit, um, in a more celebratory note, Adelaide and I went off to the Omega Institute. I don't know, does anybody, anybody aware of Omega? Mm -hmm. It's this incredible new age fa facility in upstate New York. And Adelaide, you know, Adelaide is just this little gray-haired, rather, not conservative, but you grew up in a very conservative country and you plant in the middle of this new age place that is just dripping with crystals and mantras <laughs> and, and, you know, chants and bells and, you know, 
<laughs> so off Adelaide and I went to, um, to Omega to do a five-day retreat together. And it was a retreat for people with AIDS and their families. And in the morning, we all did things together. And in the afternoon, we all went off. We chose what we wanted to do in the afternoon. And there were five-day workshops every afternoon. You, you chose your workshop and you spent five days doing it every afternoon. So I chose one, I can't remember what it was. But Adelaide chose one on forgiveness. So every afternoon I'd say goodbye to her and she'd go off, you know, and spend three or four hours doing whatever they were doing and I was doing whatever I was doing. Well, we would gather, has anybody been to Omega? Well, it's a, it, it was like a sort of uh, a holiday camp or something, but there are lots of cottages and there are big dining rooms. So there's a great big dining room where we'd all go to. And so we'd all go to the dining room and I, I was hardly seeing my mother at all because she was doing this in the afternoon and she had her sort of buddies and stuff and I had mine. But I, would, I look forward to meal times to at least like sit with her because I don't often see her and when I do it's really precious. Plus we've gone through this real intense experience together. But what I noticed was that every meal time it was getting increasingly more and more difficult for me to get near Adelaide. You know, there were all these people around her. And it, it, to the point where I just sort of gave up because at mealtime Adelaide would come in and there would be like bees around her. <laughs> and then she would sit and her table would be absolutely chock a block, you know. <laughs> you know, I, f I felt a little left out of the limelight. You know? Well, <coughs> eventually I realized what happened. And for her during those five days, She'd gone through a process with a group of people on, on forgiveness. My mom is 80 years old. And that in the process of doing whatever it was that they did at that workshop, there'd been such a connecting and such a falling in love and such an openness and, um, and love between these people that they'd become sort of inseparable from one another. And on the last day of this workshop, we had this ritual where the people in the forgiveness workshop had made this great big wire, like effigy. It was huge. It was like 30 feet high. And in it, they'd stuck all these little bits of paper of things they wanted to forgive and let go of. And so we all like gathered on the last night and there was, a, you know, a bonfire and drums, of course, and, you know, chanting and everything. And we were going to take this effigy down and it was going to be burnt at the lakeside there. And Adelaide and them were all like very excited about this thing that was going to happen. Well, I tell you, on the way down to, to the water side, they all carrying this big effigy and there is my mother dancing wildly around us. <laughs> Forgive! Let go! Let go! She lit this thing and up it went. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I wanted to share that. It's a lovely image. <laughs> There any, are there any other words? 
in closing. And we do have time. Well, I guess I'd like to share what happened to me today, in part. I woke up this morning not feeling very well. And I, um, I mean, I wasn't sick, but I was in pain in my body. And yesterday, I remembered that yesterday I had moved this enormous mirror. It was, I don't know, four by eight feet or something like that. There was nobody around to help me, and I was impatient and wanted it moved right then and there. And so I couldn't lift it. It was much too heavy to lift, so I dragged it across the, the carpet by myself. And um, I don't think I was paying a lot of attention to how I was doing it. So when I woke up this morning, I had this pain kind of radiating down the right side of my my body and I thought and I'd really been looking forward to coming here but I thought well gee this is really unfortunate <laughs> I'm gonna have a hard time sitting with this pain and I did I mean, it was it was uncomfortable for me until the last forgiveness um, meditation at that point it had built up to a very sharp centralized pain kind of under my right shoulder blade and it had gotten pretty concentrated and uncomfortable. And um, I noticed when you were talking us through the forgiveness meditation that I was tightening up around this pain. And it was getting very much in the way of me really being able to get into the forgiveness. And so um, I decided to just go with the pain. And so that became my meditation. And you kept reminding me to breathe, and I kept breathing into that. And then, of course, the feelings started to really flow at that point. And then I started, you know, it was like a parade of people who I needed to ask forgiveness for, from, and, and I went through this whole emotional thing. And, um, and then I realized that the pain was completely gone, and it's been gone ever since. So I thought that was kind of interesting when I realized that where in my body it was really located. It was right in the back of my heart. You know, I think that what you're saying is terribly important because sometimes our bodies are the most potent indicator mm -hmm. of what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. And so sometimes the clues in the body can be very very, um, very telling. Were you able to forgive me for chatting so much and keeping you sitting for so long? You never came up. I didn't come up. There were plenty of others. It's like the rogues gallery. always a rejection. So it always hides back inside again. 
retreats are always wonderful to get a grip on it. Then I lose it again, back in the outer world. And it's always nothing. I don't know if anyone else has any kind of similar experience with something like that. But it's good to have a seven-day retreat. I've often wondered if a 30-day would actually solve it. Or if it's the thing that keeps me awake, keeps me knowing that I'm really alive, that I'm really working, that it has to be there. Can you put any further words on the it? <laughs> well, it's sad. Uh, I, can, I can describe how it feels. How does it feel? It feels sad, alone, lonely, not, uh, not able to be comforted from within. There's no picture or story around it that I've ever been able to come up with. Because I, when I go through my life, I forgive seams everywhere. Now, of course, you came up with stuff at two months, which couldn't have been in memory. Why not? Well, I mean, I, it wouldn't have been. It, at least that's, I haven't had any memories that go back that far. So that may be that it's something that goes back that far, or even in the womb. So that's the only place that I could say if there's a real story to it that I haven't found. Some people go back that far. My, my experiences haven't flashed to that point. That's the only thing that struck me today when you were mm. speaking, and that, that it's an actual experience that I need to find. But, but what I did is I just meditated and felt that I would take this into the week-long meditation of I'm willing to forgive wherever it is. In this lifetime, this planet, wherever it is, I'm willing to forgive it and then see if it. Mm. May I be bold? Yes. Please. You know, we were speaking earlier about yes, 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 yes. There's another f facet of the yes, 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 which is don't know. Don't know. Because our minds are so conditioned to want to know. And it's part of that facility of mind that wants to control, because if we know, we feel in control. If we don't know, there's no ground between our feet. But the whole path, the whole path, for me, seems to be about a willingness to not know, to just be present. You know, we were saying, be with the moment, in the moment, for the moment, of the moment. Just be there. That is the only security that there is, is being present momentarily with life. And out of that, the fullness of life, I trust, will blossom. And that when I get in there and try to know and understand, I'm lost in my head and I'm way out of the moment. And so, might I suggest as a possibility at some point that feels appropriate and right to actually not see it as an issue. To just say, I don't know what that is. I don't know. And that I'm not going to give it a moment's more thought if possible. I'm just going to be as present with whatever happens. And if there's sadness, if there's feeling alone, if there's feeling isolated, 
just be with that moment to moment to moment. When we make an it of something, we are already several steps away from the bare experience of what's going on. And so just, oh, there it is, you know, great, you know, and then we go on, and then we go on. And you might, you might have like 50 consecutive it moments, but they're not really it moments, they're just moments of life manifesting. You know, like sensations in the body, like thoughts, like feelings, like, like sounds, sights, tastes, touches, everything. It's the whole tapestry of life manifesting. And it's almost like the mind, in its endeavor to control, has reached into that tapestry and taken something out and tried to solidify it. And if the tapestry is just going and going and we're holding on, we're suffering. Let go. Or play with. Yes. <laughs> or let go of. <laughs> you know, I, that story about Adelaide is, you know, I told it for a number of reasons. And one is that if you're anything like me, I can make a drama out of anything. <laughs> and I can make something dire and dramatic uh, at the turn of a coin. But that's just another way in which I... I, have, I exercise control over situations. Do you get a sense of that? Yes. It's like if I make a drama out of, say, my sexual abuse, which is not to say that it didn't happen, which is not to say it was a terrible thing, that it was that, you know, it can never be condoned. But if I hold that as like, I'm a man who was sexually abused and it was wrong, I'm stuck. But if I say I'm willing to be moment to moment with however this particular patterning manifests, because I think these experiences leave us with patterns. We're wired by the experience and they manifest. And if we with the manifestation, moment to moment, to moment to moment, and continually slip out of the thoughts, if a thought comes, let it go. A willingness to begin again and again and again, you know, just come back. Then, you know, Things can move, can flow, malleable, everything is possible. So it's when we're getting there trying to, you know, I'm Gavin, you know, the gay man, or Gavin, the, you know, the wrong, or whatever, that I might feel comfortable on one level, but on a deeper level I'm not, because I'm trying to make solid what isn't solid, and I'm suffering. talking that you seem to think that you know verbalizing is a real part and part of forgiveness or that process of speaking the truth or of you know what happened in the situation. I'm just wondering about that because in my ex one of my experiences anyway um, that was very painful and um, dissolved when I saw the person again after a large and um, my father disowned me and then and see each other for years, and one day he just walked in to the store that I was working in, and the whole thing just dissolved. And we both cried and embraced each other, but never said a word about it. 
And, you know, I mean, there's a part of me, I guess, that would have liked to have verbalized, but it just didn't seem necessary. I mean, it was just gone. And I was so happy, and I certainly felt the same way, that that didn't exist anymore, and that, had, that it was just enough, you know, that was enough. So I'm just wondering how, you know, important I, th I think words are, are, are totally, in the end, ultimately unimportant. But I think that given the, you know, the experience of, of truth is a wordless experience. It cannot be framed in words. That's why we need to be very careful. You know, we were talking about forms. And we were talking about in meditation, don't add words, judgments, concepts. You know, because the words are a step away from the bare experience of what is true. And the experience of the ultimate, when the Buddha sat under the tree and opened to the, the deepest truth, there were no words there because that experience is quite beyond words. Now, we live in a relative world. We communicate with each other. And words are the, one of the most powerful mediums of communication. So the importance of using speech that is skillful is that the words take us as little removed from the truth as possible. They'll always remove us from the truth. But if our words are skillful, they can help position us so that we can let go of them and drop and experience what is true. So for some of us, words serve in some situations. It might be in another situation of forgiveness, it will really be helpful for you to go and talk to that person to facilitate the unfolding of forgiveness, which will be altogether different from your dad. So what applies to one situation doesn't apply to another. Like if I hadn't spoken with my mom and dad, as I did, I have no doubt that things wouldn't have got to the place where they're at now. So in that situation, it was skillful means to use words. I don't, there definitely are no absolutes or requirements in terms of any of these meditation forms. Each of us in the end has to take, I mean, the best way that I can serve you is to give a sense of, I come share my truth you hopefully come take what has meaning, play with it, experiment with it, use what works, toss the rest away. That's the best. You know, n not to go to this retreat and then take that and stick with that for the rest of life and then another one there and stick with that. We have to be malleable and listen and use our intuition and calibrate our own journey to God or whatever, you know. It's an awesome responsibility. So yes, words can be a hindrance and can be a help. Thank you, that's a very important question. Like the, uh, this experience I had this summer just came up. Uh, and I was in Mexico and I met this man who was the most unlikely person? He he, he was smoked cigarettes like crazy, great beer, uh, was you know kind of an American gone to Mexico, dropped out type. And um, he was, yeah, he was a very kind person and friendly. And I won't tell you the details of it. However, I ended up 
going to lunch and he was sitting across from me and and I thought he was a very unlikely person I would continue to have an association with. Um, and he cleared his throat and he said, I'm going to tell you something that, you know, I, I think I would like to tell you this. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, he said, well, you know, I meditate. <laughs> Coming from Hawaii and or you know the place like that. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I've been meditating. That's what he said. And um, he had had this experience, and it came, and it, it, it is about forgiveness because he, for some years, had had a list of people that you know, long list of people that he had not forgiven, very angry, and including the people in his general neighborhood in Mulehe, this was. And um, a period of days, he had a, a spiritual experience, literally, of all these people, and, you know, coming up, a kind of like, I guess, the meditation we did, but he didn't even know meditation then. Uh, and, um, going through a forgiveness in a way or, or something I don't know exactly what his experience was um, even to the point of those people who he had, hadn't spoken to for years in Lulahe you know coming and making amends with him and um, him telling me this was quite profound for me because here's somebody who isn't reading the books isn't going to the uh, meditation places and his and his his words where he said you know now what he does is he booms people with love mm -hmm. he had come to this mm -hmm. from this very angry place mm -hmm. and it just was so um, fulfilling for me to hear that he was telling me this and for me to hear it in that manner that um, this practice that we all do is about love and you know it's like this release he was having a release every day he go home and now what he was doing was you know doing his meditation doing a forgiveness I mean he had come to this and books were coming to him because of this experience. So uh, it, it goes in line what you were working with today is at the right moment at the time. You know, even somewhere, and he is a very kind person, I felt intuitively when I first met him, you know, that, that those things uh, occur. Mm. In, in the tradition that we were talking about, the Tantra tradition, yes, 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 yes. Another aspect of that tradition is they say that the truth is inescapable. Inescapable. Yes, and so if, if we're ripe and ready, we cannot escape. No matter who we are, no matter how many cigarettes we smoke and <laughs> beers we drink. And that's a sort of comfort, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was a comfort to me. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to eat all that tofu. <laughs> <laughs>
That's what I keep coming back to again and again is this phrase that you use uh, as best I can. You know, I, I'm willing to forgive or I, I forgive as best I can. And that seems, both those phrases, I'm willing and as best I can, seem to really be the path of preparing oneself for grace to enter the grace of forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of like your question. I think in the end, all we can do is just create an environment or a climate in which the inescapable can manifest, you know, in which the forgiveness can ripen, in which grace can come. And I think that's why the Buddha placed so much emphasis on, you know, on just living a kind, generous life, because he knows that you know, he knew that you know when the f- when the ground is fertile, the truth is inescapable, and so it's almost like it sort of takes a lot of pressure off us. You know, like there's you know there's nothing to achieve, there's nothing to do. It's just how we're loving our moments. You know, moment to moment to moment to moment. That's all we have to do. The rest is inescapable. You know, I mean, it, it seems like quite a relief. I was glad that you read the Thich Nhat Hanh poem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I learned a lot about forgiveness from Thich Nhat Hanh. In particular, uh, there's a guided meditation on one of his tapes where you visualize your parents as five years old. And it's hard to be angry with someone <laughs> they're five years old and you're thinking about them as innocent young creatures. Um, so when you have your bring people up, I thought of my parents and it was really easy because I'd done that before. And then I thought, this is just too easy, and all of a sudden Hitler came into my head. And, I, and it's interesting because Hitler's sort of the one that I still blame all the time because my parents grew up in the war in Germany with a lot of ramifications, down to my generation too. So I thought, you know, I just can't be willing to forgive Hitler. But um, I pictured him five years old. Mm. You know, I pictured him a tiny little boy before he became a monster. And I can't say I forgave him, but I was so glad that you said that we should just have a willingness or openness to forgive, because I could have that. So, thanks. Thank you. For me, in in South Africa, there was a really important moment. I used to sit and watch television, and there'd be all these Afrikaner politicians who would be wagging their finger. They used to love doing that, you know. They used to talk about us, you know, the students, the betuchers, you know, we'll get you, we'll put you in prison, don't you misbehave, you know, you get in line here, you know, da 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 And it was like, it was always me and them, me and them, it was like, you know, I wanted to, like, you know, explode. And one day, it was really important, but it was many years later, it was after I started sitting, when I was watching one of these tirades, you know, about these Afrikaners who knew what was right, and God 
decreed, I was like shocked because I realized that this guy actually, with all his heart, believed. He believed what he was saying. And for all my life, there was a part of me that thought, but it, it, it was beyond words, that he was so wrong that he must have known he was wrong, but he was pretending to be this way. But when I, when I got it, it was like, oh my God. He actually truly believes that it's right to be racist. And how on earth somebody gets to such a disfigured understanding, as you say. I mean, maybe it would have helped if I thought in that moment what he was like at five, you know, or three. Thank you. thing that took the biggest charge out of everything in my life was um, me call, uh, talking at length with my parents about their childhood. You know, and the things that they lived through that they just didn't think anything about was just totally amazing. And of course, how could they be anybody but who they were after knowing, I mean, you know, following the path of their life, after knowing what they went through and how they were raised and, and various incidents. And they didn't even think the incidents, it was nothing to them. I mean, it was something, but it was nothing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I know they had to grab onto something. I remember talking to my aunt. Um, I come from the South. And um, <laughs> very, very, very racist, but very, very, very willing to defend everybody in the, their idea of where it's right. Um, and um, so my cousin, who's 53, was now going with a black guy. And my other cousin told me, and that's okay. And, but my, my aunt, aunt Tootsie, her thing is, <laughs> but honey, it's just not right. <laughs> and, and you know, that's the basis. That's what kept their life together. Mm -hmm. And and I see this all the time. It's just not right. <laughs> so I don't know. I just learned huge amounts by uh, finding out my parents' struggles, mm. asking them. So. Mm. If anybody has any problem with forgiveness, I advise them to talk to their parents like he did about their childhood. This willingness to forgive is such a powerful thing. I mean, I had the most unexpected experience recently. There were, there were actually two things. My father was in the war part of, and, and I know it formed him profoundly, but one was reading a book, I think, Andrew, did you read that book, Charlotte Gray? There was, a, there was just this novel by Sebastian Falk called Charlotte Gray about the Second World War. And there was just something all of a sudden in, this, in the reading of this book that I felt intensely close to my father and very tender. And it culminated in seeing a movie called Tea with Mussolini. I don't know if anybody mm -hmm. saw that. The moment when the Australian kid jumped up out of the grass and all the shooting and stuff, and they were all so happy to see him. I don't know if you remember that moment. Mm -hmm. But that moment, it was like I felt just so intimate with my father, and I understood him, and I felt like something just like ripened there. It was very unexpected and sort of out of nowhere. And, and it felt, you know, things have felt even more deeply settled around him. And so, just in the willingness to forgive without agenda and just handing our willingness to the universe, 
the universe is so bountiful and generous, I trust that what will happen will. Now, we are approaching the end of our, our day together, and I'm aware that there are some people who've not spoken. Now, of course, that's absolutely fine. But I just want to be sure to give an opportunity, if there's anybody that has anything to say who has not, just that the invitation is there. And if there's anything that anybody else feels, that, you know, that will be a completion for them in the same, this is an opportunity for all that to happen so that as much as possible we can leave without um, uh, unspoken words. I just want to thank you. I'm going away with two wonderful jewels that I got from this. One being just the magic when forgiveness happens and you don't know how and exactly when you've maybe been willing and suddenly it's there with this person and there's no more charge. And the other is just the constantly being present. I love when you said, and then you come back and it's workable because you went somewhere else <laughs> because you were present with, with just being. Thank you. Thank you for not being erudite, as you might say. But you're so, you communicate so beautifully to the heart. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You do a very good job yourself, if I might say. <laughs> I just want to thank everybody for coming today because I'm really aware now that as we're getting ready to go um, of how it is to be with these parts of ourselves and how it is for me to be with the parts of myself we touched today. And I think just knowing that we all sat together today with these um, intentions and gave ourselves a whole day, you know, we'll just. I, I won't feel so alone in those moments maybe I have felt that way in the past, just knowing that we all came together, and that we all share this moment in time. It's helpful. about it a lot and I, my impulse is to is to decline 
my sense of, of that time is that I just want to be quietly on my own, connected with you in every way except my body. <laughs> interesting and personal stories that a lot of people related today um, about forgiveness and that kind of thing that flashed on my father the last time I saw him. He died in 1980, but the sole thing he wanted to do was not be in the hospital, to go home and sit in his chair and die there, because he knew he was going to go. And I remember I was younger, a lot younger, and I had, uh, I hadn't sat, I haven't even seen him for three years. And I remember just holding his hand, and I forgave him on, you know, you're a person who lived through your hardships, and I'm a person, you know, I've had a lot of hardships, a lot of pain. And I just looked at him as an individual person. And I forgave him right then and there for not being the kind of dad that I would really like to have or that I always compared <clears throat> other kids having, you know, great dads and I virtually didn't know him very much at all. So I remember that and I, and so I, I thought it was done deal and I was not forgiving my dad. But it, I think it's the forgiveness at the emotional level that's just so difficult to dig through. And after you relating such personal stories yourself and forgiveness, was there that dichotomy for you too? In other words, you can forgive on the outside, but then years later you find that a, a little child down there still forgive. The emotional part yeah. has, is still stuck somewhere. That's what we're really stuck in, or forgiving anybody really is. The emotions that well up. Right. Happen at different times or yeah, I, I love the images. You, 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 you're getting lower and lower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that that is very telling and very insightful. Because I think that when we're hurt at a, in a very young and at a ve at, in a very primal way, that forgiveness, particularly in those circumstances, is very much a, an unfolding process, and that you know it can happen, you know, say on a level here, and you know it feels good and whole and complete. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like that, that 
sense of completion, just a door opens and we drop to a deeper level where there are more feelings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.